once again, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 10, verses 22, and I believe we actually have uh, a, a sheet that has the verses on it as well for you today. But I'm going to start by reading verses 22 through 31. And this takes place, remember, right after Jesus has talked about the good shepherd and him being the good shepherd. In verse 22, it says, At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I tell you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So last week, if you were there, if you weren't, that's okay. But we ended in verse 21. And before the, the beginning of verse 22, what I just read, um, most believe there's about a two-month gap there. And, and, and he's in Jerusalem for this celebration, the Feast of Dedication. It was uh, a celebration of the Israelites' victory uh, over the Syrian leader Antiochus Epiphanes, who, who per persecuted uh, Israel. And it was known as the Feast of Dedication. Later, it was the Feast of Lights, which is celebrated to this day as Hanukkah. Jesus was in Jerusalem, and these Jews, it says they surround him. They, they literally, they, they circle uh, up around him, and, and, they're, and they're pressing in, and, and it's kind of one of those moments again. It's tense, um, and, and they surround him. They say, listen, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Just tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Now, that seems, when you read it, it seems like a great request, right? They're literally, they're asking him to confirm that he's the Messiah. Many of us would go, that's, that's, that's fantastic. The stage is set. But we look at the motive behind their question, and as we study this, we realize that their motive for asking, are you the Messiah, it's not genuine. See, the reason they want him to state his identity clearly isn't so that they can believe in him, it's so that they can execute him for blasphemy. To this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has only claimed the title Messiah once in chapter 4 when he was speaking to this Samaritan woman at a well. And he's also shared it with his disciples, but he didn't claim this title often because the Jews misunderstood the purpose of the Messiah. We've seen over and over again when the Messiah is brought up, they are believing this person, this man, to be a political leader who is going to overthrow Rome, who is going to take the throne. In fact, in chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the thousands, uh, it says this in John chapter 6, 14 and 15. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, 
Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he understands and knows that by them saying Messiah, they are going to try and force him to be king and force this confrontation with Rome. And it ultimately revealed a misunderstanding as to who the Messiah was. And so Jesus was very guarded about who he shared that title with until ultimately it was time for him to go to the cross. Jesus stated that he'd already told them who he was, but they hadn't believed him. How had he told them? Well, he he talks about his works. It was the miracles that he had done. They were a sign that pointed to the reality that he was God. Yet we see these these Jews uh, persist in their unbelief to the point where they even, in, in this situation, they blame him for their unbelief. They say, it's your fault. You haven't made it clear. Now, what do we know they're doing? They're, they're baiting him, right? They're trying to get him to say something that they can arrest him for. But he doesn't fall into that trap. Why? Because he knows that they don't lack information. They've seen enough. They've heard enough to understand who he was. You guys, some of you here who have never made Jesus Lord and Savior for life, you don't lack information. You've seen. You've got the information. You've heard enough to understand, to believe. Jesus repeatedly claimed to have been sent by God. He repeatedly said he was doing his father's work. And their problem isn't lack of information. It's they were spiritually blind. They were lost spiritually in the darkness that we've talked about as we've gone through this book. From a human perspective, the reason they don't believe is because they're unwilling to embrace the truth about who Jesus is. See, fully fully, uh, understanding exactly how human responsibility and divine sovereignty work together, it's it's, it's tough. It's beyond our our human comprehension, understanding that that they're choosing uh, in in one regard to not believe because we, we, we know from Scripture anyone who willingly seeks the truth, it says, will find it. But from the, the standpoint of this divine sovereignty, they didn't believe. Why? Because they were not Jesus' sheep given to him, it says, by the Father. Repeating what he'd said previously, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then he said what? I give them eternal life. So so he's literally saying, I give them eternal life. He's claiming to have that power and authority. So make no mistake about it. He right now is claiming to be God. And for those of you that are a believer, man, how incredible is it to understand and know that he, by his power, has given you eternal life. And then he goes on to say one of the most powerful phrases. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I connect with so many people that will say, man, I'm a Christian, but but they're wrestling with fears. In particular, people who come from a different religious background, they wrestle with fears that they're going to lose their salvation 
even after making Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. And maybe that's you. You continue uh, to fear, to struggle, going, man, am I going to lose this? I did that. I thought that. Uh, man, I relapsed. Man, I, am I done? Am I kicked out? Uh, like, like I was doing so well. And, 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 and so uh, what you need to see right here is these verses refute that fear. They refute it strongly. They affirm the eternal security of all who are true followers of Jesus. I love how one, one commentator wrote, we believe in the perseverance of the saints and the security of every believer, but not because we have an inflated view of our ability to persevere in the Christian life. If it were left to us, we would all fall away from the faith and perish. Amen? If it was left to you and me, guys, we, we, don't, we don't fall into him. We continue to fall away from him. But Jesus promised here that he will keep all his sheep secure. No one can rip them away from him. If God has called us to his son, nothing can ever pull us away from him. The apostle Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, listen to what Paul wrote when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, you guys, Satan will try to, to, to convince us that our guilt is too great. Our guilt is too great for God to forgive us. But you guys, when you're feeling that, you need to know right away that that guilt is not from God. That is from the enemy. He's trying to get you to give up. He's trying to hold you back from moving forward. He's trying to get you to live in that, uh, to stay in that. But you need to remember that that guilt has already been paid for. It's already been taken to the cross. Jesus said, no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. I was, uh, I was, walking and I was doing some work this weekend uh, out by our house. And we have a little gate, a side gate that opens uh, essentially the back area of our house to the front. And in the front is a street. And I wouldn't say it's like a crazy busy street, but there's traffic. And my youngest son, uh, who's got a lot of me in him, outwardly and inwardly, to be honest, but he's a wanderer. Um, well, I shouldn't say a wanderer. He's, he's very focused in, I want to get away from you. And, and if he sees, you know, like if he sees a gap, he's not thinking, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. He's, he's thinking, how do I get out of there? And, and it's not like he doesn't go half pace. He doesn't wander. Uh, many times he goes off into a sprint. And it's kind of funny because he's chunky. But he... I'm, I'm doing some work, and, and all of a sudden, I see my wife go around the side, and, and, and she goes, hey, have you seen Roman? That's his name. And, and all of a sudden, I, I said, well, no. 
And you know, you have that awkward conversation with your spouse. I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. And and then I look behind me and there he was halfway down our not so long driveway towards the street. Now he wasn't fully just going, take me home, Jesus. He was He was yelling his brother's name. He knew his brother was somewhere over there. So he's yelling and he's running. And so I sprint after him and I grab his hand and I start walking him on the sidewalk toward his brother. Now he's holding my hand, but who's really holding the hand there? I'm holding his hand with such a grip, nothing could take his hand away from mine. Now, he would say, I'm holding daddy's hand, but no, daddy's really holding his hand. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to him saying, no one can snatch you out of my hand, guys, we do our best to try and hold on to his hand, but you know what? We're not really good at it. The reality is you're secure because of his hand holding yours. And that's what you need to remember. Because our hands, uh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna struggle. We're going we're gonna to struggle with our grip. All these things, we're weak. And, and we go through these moments of wondering, but you need to understand. He says, nobody's going to snatch you out of my hand. And so you can be secure in that. You can stand your ground in that. We're secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. And this is a tremendous promise for us that should be comforting, but it's a promise that only God could make because Jesus then said, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. It's the father and the son that hold the believer's hand. The father and the son jointly guarantee the eternal security of Jesus' followers because as Jesus declared, what? What did he say? I and the father are one. And right after Jesus says those words, they go, bingo, we've got you. And what do they do? They pick up stones in order to execute him. They go, we're going to kill him now. And so in this tense moment, he's surrounded. They pick up the stones and they're like, it's over for you. And then we see Jesus respond in verse 32. He says, it says, Jesus then answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the work of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So Jesus, Jesus asks them, as, as they're literally about to, to, <laughs> to go off on him, to execute him, he says, I have shown you so many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Remember, these miracles, they offered this tangible proof that he was God in the flesh, that he wasn't a blasphemer. Jesus's question also put the Jewish leaders in this awkward position of opposing what he had clearly done in public in front of thousands 
and they were good things. He was healing people. He was feeding uh, people. And so they respond, it's not for a good work that we're stoning you. It's because you are claiming to be God. You being a man, make yourself God. And so Jesus is guilty of blasphemy in their eyes. But it's pretty ironic, isn't it, that they have it completely backwards. They think Jesus is a man making himself to be God, but he's actually God who's made himself man. He took upon himself human nature. But Jesus, once again, as, as he's always, he knows the time, he knows what to say. He, he, he's, he knows how serious they are about the word of God. And so he addresses them by quoting a passage from the Old Testament. And it's Psalm 82, 6, where it says, I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. And so this verse is where God rebuked Israel's unjust judges, calling uh, them gods because they ruled as his representatives and spokesmen. And so he's saying if those who acted unjustly on God's behalf were called gods, how, how is it wrong for Jesus who came from God did the works of God to refer to himself as the son of God? And then he reminds them as only he can by saying, the scripture cannot be broken. In other words, you can't set aside the law just because you don't like it. But that's exactly what they do. See, scripture can never be invalidated, though they often tried to do that. They often tried to take their own agenda, their own laws that they created, and they, they attempt to supersede God's word. In Mark 7, 13, it alludes to this. It says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And you guys, when we think of this reality, uh, how, we, how, how they were trying to set aside the law, God's law, God's word, because they just simply didn't like it, it didn't agree with their agenda, we do the same thing today. In fact, I would say it's, it's, it's a pandemic. We are more and more picking and choosing what we want in Scripture, and we're ignoring or, 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 or just disagreeing and just saying, oh, I'm just not going to look at that. I'm not going to apply that. Uh, I'm not going to respond to that. But, but, I'm, but, I, but I like this part, right? We're doing the same thing they were. We're picking the things that align with what I want to believe. And, and most of the time, it's what culture is telling me to do. It's what culture is saying uh, that I should be about. It's what's culturally acceptable. And, and so we gravitate towards that uh, because it's the easiest. It's the most comfortable. It creates the least uh, opposition. And so we go with that. But as we do that, we start to become the Pharisees in picking and choosing what we want to believe, what we want to align line with and what we actually don't want to align with. You guys, the more we live our lives this way, the more we try to discredit God's word, do you know what actually happens? It ends up validating it. Why? Well, what's going on in culture? Is it getting better? No. <laughs> I don't know anybody, regardless of where you are on, on the political spectrum, I don't know anybody that's like, oh man, Things are looking so great right now. I mean, wow. And I don't know anybody that's saying that, right? Maybe you are. If you are, well done. You may have been totally disconnected for the last year and a half. 
But man, like, I, I want you to think about that. Like, you guys, what's happening? We're saying, that's great. That's God's word. And, he, and, and it's not just like, oh, culture, culture. It's the churches. It's church. It, it's people claiming the name of Christ saying, I'm going to pick and choose what I want because I want to do what I want to do. And I actually know better than him what's going to make me happy, what's going to be fulfilling. And so we go down this road. But ultimately, uh, what we're doing uh, is we're reaching to this, we're reaching this point where we're more discouraged, we're more anxious, we're more depressed, we're, 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 we're in a worse condition than we were even before, and all we're actually doing is validating that God's word is true, that his way is best. And so, and so listen, in your life, you guys, you need to understand and know that, that God's word, this is, this is a guide for you and how to live, and it shouldn't ebb and flow with culture. It's going to cause you to stand out. It's going to separate you. But be confident in it. It's God's word. He pleads with them. Then we see to believe in what? He goes back to the objective evidence of his works. He says, just look at the works I'm doing. He says, there's only one explanation for what I've done. It's come from the Father. I am one with the Father. Believe in me. He's saying, listen, okay, you don't believe what's coming out of my mouth. Believe the works. Believe my actions. As I was reading that, I, I, I started to ask myself that difficult question. Could I tell someone who disagrees with what I say, could I say, okay, you disagree with what I say, but look at my actions. Look at my actions. Man, I pray that we, if we're Jesus followers, when, when, when we're facing opposition, when someone says, I don't agree with what you're saying, I don't agree uh, with, with what you're saying about Jesus, all of that, I, I, I don't believe the Bible. Could, could we get to the point where we say, you know what? You don't believe me, but do you believe in the actions of my life? Are my actions an extension of my message? Do my actions validate the message that I've been preaching? Can we say that? And then we also see Jesus once again offer salvation to people trying to kill him. Did you catch that? He's still pleading with them to believe in him. Man, guys, would you offer salvation to someone trying to kill you? Jesus does, and here's the reality, and this is the challenge. If you desire to have a heart after God's own heart, if, you, if, if you're a Jesus follower, you're going on this journey of sanctification, right? The process of becoming like God, this discipleship journey that you're on. And as that happens, transformation you're, takes hold of your heart to where you start having the heart and the mind of God. And, and, and you guys, if that's your desire, it's going to lead you to ultimately be able to look beyond uh, how someone looks, how someone speaks, uh, what position they have in culture, and, 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 and even if they're literally in opposition to you, if you have a heart after God's, you are going to be able to look beyond all of that and see their soul that is crying out for a Savior. And you are going to have compassion. And th man, that's something that, man, I'll just tell you, God has really worked this out in my life. 
the ability to look beyond somebody who doesn't like me, who's against me, who clearly takes different positions on things than I do, and the ability to, to look beyond that and just see their soul. And, and just understand and know that I don't know their whole story. I don't have to know their whole story. All I know is that this person is, as Jesus says, a lost sheep in need of a shepherd. And so I'm called to be a light to them. And so can I get beyond this, they're over here or they're this way or they look like this or they talk like this or they're even against me. Can I get beyond that and just see at the heart of somebody's soul there that they're crying out for a savior that they need to experience Jesus? Can we do that? And then he closes this chapter. It says in 39 through 42, it says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So Jesus has graciously called them to himself, revealing himself as the Messiah, but once again, in spite of all the evidence, they're choosing unbelief, and they respond to by arresting him. We're going to arrest him. And they have him circled up, and... I don't know what happened here. Once again, I'm, I, I'm baffled. They had him surrounded. Was he just the greatest running back of all time? We don't know. But somehow he got out of that circle. And, 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 and he evades them once again. Because why? His time was not right yet. But these, these people, once again, they ignore the works of Jesus, the, the word of God. His hour isn't yet there. And so he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to the spot uh, outside of Jerusalem where John the Baptist had first been baptizing people. And, and it says that many came to Jesus there to listen to his words. They remembered what John the Baptist had said years ago about Jesus and they're acknowledging that it was true. And it says what? Many were believing in Jesus. Many were believing in Jesus. So we go from this moment of people refusing, in spite of the evidence, in spite of the words, uh, refusing to believe, to ultimately many people coming to know who he was and believing in him. And you guys, just as was going on then, is going on right now. And it's even going on right now outside on this lawn. There are many who are allowing their preconceived ideas or past about religion and their love for themselves, essentially, right? Because, it, because when we think about the things that we allow ourselves to blind us from the reality of who Jesus is, for most of us, it's a preconceived notion about what the invitation actually is, about what salvation actually is, about what a, what a, what a relationship with Jesus actually is, or it's what? We have blinded ourselves into thinking we're the best savior for ourselves. We know what's best. And so we're going to do what we want to do, which ultimately blinds us to that saving truth. But we know from scripture, just like today, there are those who are going to hear his voice and what? Respond. And guys, that's, that's the point. This is happening today, right? Church, is this happening today? This week, it happened this week. I, I, I'm meeting with, with a guy at, at our church. Started coming during the pandemic. We sit down to eat, took the masks off. And I went, that's what you look like. 
Wow. And we're, and, 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 and we're there and we're talking. And as we're talking, he starts sharing with me where he's at where he's not at. And, and, and as he's sharing me, he's telling me his story and, 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 and he's telling me how ultimately uh, he, he's, he's unwilling at this point to give his life to Jesus because of this death in, in, in his family. And he just had no way to reconcile that with a good and loving God. He said, no way, it hurt. There's no way that a good loving God, and, and he couldn't reconcile that. But what was happening as he would come uh, to venue 252 and listen is he would listen to the message. Then he'd go and he would sit in his car. He would just sit there. And he just process. And he said, I, every Sunday, I, I get into my car and I just process what you said, the words and all of that, and, 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 and I wrestle with it. And I said, so tell me where you're at right now. I said, do you believe this, this? And I just, I just share the gospel. He goes, yeah, I believe that. And I go, well, so ultimately, what's holding you back from actually receiving it? And he starts sharing with me a story. And I said, and, and ultimately, as we ended lunch, I said, listen, I think you're ready. But it doesn't matter what I think. You've got to be ready. And I'm not going to try and manipulate you into this. I said, so I'm going to see you next week. And when I come up to you, I'm going to ask you one or two questions. Are you ready? Or second, what other questions do you have? And I'm available to answer whatever questions you may have. And we met the following week. I saw him. I walk up to him. I said, all right, bud. I pull him aside. Where are you at? And he says, ultimately, I've come to the conclusion where I've had to ask and wrestle with what's holding me back? What's holding me back? And he goes, you know what? It ultimately was me holding me back. I believe and I want to receive it right now. And right then and there, this guy responded to Jesus, receiving him as Lord and Savior of his life. This isn't some distant thing back then. It's happening right now. And I can't wait to baptize this guy. He's gone this weekend, but man, next baptism, this dude's getting in the water. He's going to get baptized. And guys, we are forced with that question even today. When you think of the gospel, when you think of the reality that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and, 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 and gave his life for you and for me to pay the penalty of our sins, a penalty you and I could never pay, and he went and, and he paid that on our behalf. When you think of him going to the cross for that, in, in, in spite of the reality that you would never be perfect, you would never be good enough, but he loved you so much that he paid that penalty, took your guilt upon himself and died and said, it is finished, but then wasn't done yet, resurrected, having victory over sin and death. And when you think about that kind of love, and then, and then he invites you into a relationship with him, an invitation to receive him as Lord and Savior, a transformation experience to where now you are signed and sealed and delivered for eternity with him. And, and nothing can snatch you from that. Nothing. I want you to just think about that. That's what he offers. And so ultimately, I'm confronted with what is holding me back today. And you guys, that either hits you in one of two ways. Either you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to do that right now because you're like, what's holding you back? And you're like, ultimately, I've run out of excuses. It's time. Or second, you are a self-described Jesus follower right now. 
and you are holding yourself back from all that God has for you right now. Guys, it's been too long since some of us have said, I'm all in. And maybe we've just been floating and going with it. But today, you got to ask that question as well. What's holding me back? I'm going to pray right now, and then I'm going to invite us as we go into a time of worship. I'm going to invite any of you that either want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life to do that, or I'm going to invite you that want to be baptized this morning, 4th of July. (laughs) I'm going to invite you to come forward after this, and the band's going to come up here. Let me pray, and right now, let's just, let's, let's ask God to reach where we're at in our hearts right now.